The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. There is a part of you that is eternal. In fact, you are eternal. They're just parts of you that aren't. Technically, since matter cannot be destroyed, even your parts are eternal. They're just not eternally yours. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, the host for this program, and I wrote those words in a book called Younger by the Day that came out, whoa, a long time ago, 2004. And you know what? I feel just a little bit younger now than I did then, and that is the perfect lead-in for our first guest today, Tracy Lynn McWhorter, who was on the show just a few months ago, but oh my gosh, you guys wrote to me and texted me and Facebooked me, bring Tracy back. You actually wanted Tracy and her wonderful mother, Mary McWhorter, they're co-authors of Ageless Vegan. We weren't able to get uh, a double feature today, but we certainly have Tracy here, and we're going to be talking to her in just a moment. After the break, we'll be speaking with filmmaker Thomas Jackson, whose film, A Prayer for Compassion, is going to debut at the end of October at the Vegan World 2026 conference in Tempe, Arizona. Now, you've been hearing little bits and pieces about this film for the longest time. In fact, it's very connected to this program. Thomas actually called in back in, oh golly, I guess it was 2015. 15. We were doing a book giveaway. He was listening live that day. He won the book. And then he left a message with Jeff, our engineer, and asked if I would call him back. And he asked if I wanted to be the producer for his film to interest people who identify as religious or spiritual in vegan living. And I said, I don't know how to be a movie producer. And he said, but you know people. Let's just get together. You make the connections. And you know what? Now we've got a movie. Amazing things happen. And it's absolutely amazing that we have back with us today, the beautiful, 
the committed, the really, really bright Tracy Lynn McWhorter, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. And I'll bet one of yours, too, especially if you've been listening to this show for a while. We mentioned Tracy's latest book with her mom, Ageless Vegan. Beautiful, beautiful guide. They tell you all the superfoods and the recipes and what kind of thing is going to make you super vital in your over 40, over 50, over wherever you are, happen to be kind of years. And Tracy is also known for the iconic By Any Greens Necessary. I have to say, when I carried that book in the subway, more people want to write down the name than just about any book I know, probably because Tracy's so inviting in her picture on the cover. She's also going to be awarded just next week by Farm Sanctuary, their Compassionate Vegan Living Award. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you for that lovely intro, and it's great to be back with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you back. So this award, this is so exciting. When did they tell you about it, and did you jump up and down? Yeah, all of that. <laughs> it's very exciting. I um, I found out about it earlier this year from Jean Bauer, who you know is the president of Farm Sanctuary, and it really was a, a beautiful surprise um, because, uh, you know, we, we partnered on this African-American vegan starter guide together and about two years ago. And so that, even though Jean and I have known each other, you know, for years in, the, in this work, um, we collaborated on this project beginning in 2016, and it's just... Um, become so um, well-received and so popular. We're actually at nearly 500,000 printed copies in distribution and wow. tens of thousands of, of PDF downloads, both free, the, the printed guides and the, the downloads. So, um, you know, we've gotten lots of funding for it, lots of interest. So, you know, I think that that's, that's largely um, – you know, that's been our, our primary collaboration over the years and then over these couple of years and, and just working on this project together. And um, I think from that, you know, um, that's kind of the catalyst for this. And, you know, just having worked in this in this field for the last, woo, not as long as you, but <laughs> 25 years, 25 to 30 years. So, and Jean that long also. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited. Yes, we we were all precocious children. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you're going to be given the award on October 4th here in New York City at the wonderful Mm -hmm. Farm Sanctuary Gala that I believe is also going to be celebrating the opening of the next Farm Sanctuary, right? Yes, that's my understanding that that's actually that's actually happening. Um, so it's you know there's a lot of good stuff happening with Farm Sanctuary too, and I think you know just them talking about the importance still of having sanctuary and what sanctuary means to people, the different meanings that it has. So yeah, there's a there there is a lot that they're celebrating as well. Yeah. I mean, when Jean came up with that idea, it just seems so outrageous. How can you just have animals if you're not a farm person? 
Right, right, I guess exactly. you just start out, and now, of course, not only Farm Sanctuary with about to be four locations, but so many mm-hmm. others all over the place with all those animal ambassadors. It's quite, quite stunning. So, right. Tracy, we just went there, what have you been up to? Are you finished touring with Edgeless Vegan? Not, not yet. We'll be done in, in November. So it's been June through November. And actually, um, one of the things that we just did with, with my mom and one of my sisters and one of my nieces um, is uh, that we went to Farm Sanctuary for their annual hoedown in Ooh, August. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was, it was great. And um, I, we, have a, we have a Farm Sanctuary here uh, in the D.C. area called Poplar Springs, which I've been yes. to a number of times, but I'd never been to the sanctuary, and I loved it. It was fantastic. So that was, that was, really, um, that was really great, just to be able to actually go to the sanctuary finally and see all of the great work. But, um, yeah, we're still, we're still at it um, through November. So um, it's great. It's a lot of fun being able to go out and, and meet folks. We just got back from Toronto two weeks ago. Um, have you been to their festival? I have a couple of times. Yeah, it's a big that was one. My first time. <laughs> it's huge. I love Toronto. I could move there. <laughs> yeah, my, my husband's children live there, so I sometimes get to think I'm almost an honorary Canadian. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. So, what's coming up? Where can people see you? Um, what's coming up? Uh, so the gala is next Saturday the 4th, and then after that I'll be in uh, Baltimore on October, uh, gosh, no, let me back up. I'll be in Boston on October 20th for the Boston Veg Fest, and then October 27th I'll be in Baltimore for um, a health fair that's co-presented by the Reginald Lewis African American Museum in Kaiser, um, they're having an all-day health fair, and uh, then I'll be in Atlanta for the Atlanta Veg Fest on November 10th. So uh, those events are coming up. Oh, that's wonderful! And do, is it still the website by any greens necessary that people go to to get your schedule and see where they can hang out with you? Yes, by any greens necessary dot com under events or agelessvegan.com, Either one. Wow, that is so cool. Well, while we're talking about going places, I'll tell where I'm going to be. I will be in Grand Rapids, Michigan, October 7th for the Grand Rapids Veg Fest. And then I am going to be in Virginia on October 28th for the Hampton Roads Veg Fest. So if anybody is in any of those places, check them out and you know you can always find out about me at mainstreetvegan.net so tracy as you and your mom travel around and talk to people some of whom are in middle age and later life have you learned anything have you learned something from your audiences that you kind of want to add to your uh aging beautifully regimen a great question. Um, yes, usually I do take notes afterwards, um, either physically or mentally, just to, you know, in case there's something unique that people ask. Um, and I think what I, what I have discovered is that, um, which is actually not surprising, is that people are really um, 
excited to see my mom out here at 82 years old. You know, she, she just turned 82 in July um, and talking about her experience going vegan at 50. And so what we hear most of the time is that, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. It's not too late for me. Mm. Um, oh, that's yeah. wonderful. It's wonderful so, because they can they can see you know they can see my mom and see how you know how she how she looks um, and just hear her you know just being herself and and talking about her challenges and uh, you know her joys and and all of the ups and downs but mostly you know just having been able to maintain her health for these last thirty years um, as a vegan. And yes. being able to, to ask her questions and look at her and see her as an example. So that, I think, is, has been, you know, I expected that um, just, you know, because that's what's been happening here when my mom has been talking and going out with me in the D.C. area. But it's just been, you know, it's been affirming to see that she's been inspiring people, Um to know that it's not too late. And I think, you know, and as you know, Victoria, a lot of people um, think that this is a young person's game, right? They think that this is for young people, that you have to start young, and you really don't. You can start at any age and immediately see changes, especially if you're doing a whole food plant-based diet. Yeah, for sure. Now, one of the things I love about your book, I mentioned it earlier, is how you talk about some of the specific ingredients and the spices and the little additions that can really pump up even your basic whole foods plant-based diet and give it a little bit more oomph for your health. So the term superfood is probably overused, but I'm going to mm-hmm. just overuse it one more time and ask you some of your favorites. What are some foods, some spices that you just could not live without and that you think if everybody put it into their diets, they'd be doing better? Well, the first one is dark leafy greens. I mean, that's the healthiest food on the planet. And uh, if there is anything that people... Um, can start adding, even if they're already vegan, um, but especially if they're omnivores and, and perhaps not eating a lot of greens, a lot of veggies, is to just up your uh, dark leafy greens. So that's kale and collards and mustards, um, spinach, dandelion, uh, dandelion greens. There's, there's so many of beet greens, any dark leafy greens, just start adding them to your plate. They are the they are the healthiest food. And um, one of the one of the favorite one of my favorite drinks that I try to have every day is dandelion greens blended with fresh squeezed lemon and water. And that is does to me I think what coffee does for other folks. It mellows me out. And uh, that's how I get my day started. It, it clears all the fog. It clears me out physically, um, helps me eliminate in the morning. I don't even know if I need help, but because I always do it. <laughs> but that's how I get my day started. And then I have some for lunch, and then I have some for dinner. So for me, that's my elixir, dark leafy greens. It's a must. Um, so, so with the dandelion yeah. greens, I see them sometimes in the markets in the springtime, but not the mm-hmm. rest of the year. How do you get them all year round? They, I, we, locally they grow. You know, they're just weeds. So um, they are, 
and, and in this area, they're farms that grow them um, most of the year. So what I so we don't have a problem. We have a mom's organic market that uh, has produce from mainly local farmers, Pennsylvania area, Maryland, DC, Virginia, and so they they provide them. But when um, when they don't. I, what I do is, is um, for anything that I might like, for any dark leafy green or any fruit, I just uh, blend it in and freeze it and just leave it in the, in the freezer to take down whenever I want it. So mm-hmm. that's what I do. But you don't have to do dark, you know, dandelions. That's just my personal favorite. Um, I, I'll do, you can also do powdered greens. I do powdered wheatgrass, especially when I'm traveling for this book tour. I always take two packs and have that every morning. Um, uh, when I get started because I can't have fresh dandelion greens. So there are other, you know, there are other greens that you can, that you can have as well. So for somebody who's not used to dark leafy greens, maybe they've had spinach and broccoli, but none of the others, they're not kind of one size fits all. I mean, some cook a lot more quickly than others. Can you Mm -hmm. kind of do a quick tutorial on precisely what to do with which greens? Wow, that's a big one. Well, I will say that the easiest thing to do is to either do a quick steam or a quick stir fry. So um, if you have greens like uh, dandelion and beet greens and spinach, those greens uh, um, wilt, they break down very quickly in water or oil. So you, they don't require a lot of steam. They don't require a long time to steam. They don't require a long time to saute. Um, just two, three, four minutes with a quick, uh, quick saute or steam in the pan. And you want them to still be dark. You just want them to wilt so that they're easier to chew and digest. And then you can add whatever your favorite seasonings are. And usually I don't do much. Um, I may add some garlic and onion. Uh, I may add some sesame oil, or I may saute them in water. I may add some pine nuts or some walnuts, and I may add some sun-dried tomatoes. It just depends. Um, but you want to, you know, taste the greens, taste the, the good flavor, and keep it simple. Greens like mustard greens, uh, kale, dark green cabbage leaves, those are a little tougher um, and so they take a little longer to saute or to, uh, to steam. And so you just want to cook them maybe five to seven minutes. You know, chop them up well. Um, chop them up. Uh, you know, you can, you can chop them up in pretty small pieces or ribbons and then just saute them or steam them. And one of the other things that I like to do is to just toss them in a soup so you just cook a soup, and, and um, right before the soup is done, you just toss them in so that they toss in the, the chopped leaves so that they start to wilt in the water of the soup, and then you just eat it that way. Or I'll toss them in a salad, um, uh, in an arugula salad, a mixed green salad. So, Or, you know, if I'm having a taco or a burrito or a sandwich, instead of lettuce, I'll use dark leafy greens. So there are lots of different ways to use it. And my preference is to have them as raw as possible. So I yeah, that's what I love the baby kale and, and some of those younger greens. Yeah. And even the micro kale, it's kind of between the sprout and the vegetable. Right, easy, exactly. Easy to cook and, and easy to 
eat uncooked, which is kind of the point. So what else, Tracy, what else do you just, if you're on the road for a week and you can't have it, you miss it a lot? Um, I would say, um, what, what else would I say? Quinoa, um, is something that I have several times a week, multicolored quinoa. And if I didn't have that, I would definitely miss it. It's one of my favorite grains because it's so light and it's easy to digest and super fast to cook. Um, and it's, it, it's so nutritious. So quinoa definitely, um, any type of nut. So I try to have a handful of nuts, about a half a cup to a cup a day. So that's walnuts or pine nuts or almonds or cashews, Brazil nuts, um, uh, pistachios, any type of nut. I just try to mix it up. And then um, uh, beans. Beans are, you know, they're not, they're not sexy, but they're super nutritious. They're one of the healthiest foods that you can eat, just like dark leafy greens. And they're so good in the prevention of chronic diseases. So if you're able to eat a cup of beans a day in some form or fashion, whether it's lentils or chickpeas or black beans, red beans, navy beans, there's so many, uh, split peas, try to get that in. Um, either as a soup or uh, tossed into a stir fry, in a wrap, in a in a salad. Um, so those are those are pretty much essential um, for me. And then um, I just I love spicy food. So cayenne pepper, sea salt, black pepper, rosemary, thyme, um, uh, hot sauce, barbecue sauce. Um, I love Thai food, so any kind of Thai curry, almond butter, sesame paste. Um, so, and all of those are delicious. They're flavorful and they're healthy. They're super nutritious and they're they're considered common superfoods. And these are the foods that, as a if you're an omnivore, you're using these foods to season your uh, food anyway. So you can use these same seasonings. They're just dried plants. And the, the, the color is what's important um, when you're getting seasonings and when you're using fruits and vegetables and grains. You want to have at least two to three different colors of food on your plate every time you sit down um, because the colors themselves reflect the nutrient qualities, the nutrient content of the food, the antioxidants. And those antioxidants are what help to prevent free radical damage. They help to prevent cognitive decline. They help to keep your skin smooth. They help to keep your bones strong. So um, it's the colors in the food that reflect, um, that reflect their, nu- their nutritional value. So you want to have a colorful plate as well. Oh, this is so cool. And, and if you're thinking, how am I going to remember all this? Two wonderful <laughs> books ageless vegan and by any greens necessary. So Tracy, you talked earlier about the African American starter guide. Just fill Mm -hmm. us in on some of the unique uh, problems in the African American community and why this plant-based message needs to get there. Right. So, um, we have the most to gain from, uh, being vegan from going all or more plant-based because we experience some of the worst health outcomes in the country for a variety of reasons. Um, and fortunately, 
we have a tradition of being pioneers in the vegan movement, Victoria, as you know. Um, so we have our, you know, we have our own communities, our own history, our own culture to look to in terms of, of food. So there's vegan soul food, for example. So many vegan soul food restaurants and cookbooks and, and um, resources out there um, to start with. So if, you, um, if you're thinking about um, going vegan or, or eating more vegan food, particularly as we enter the holiday season, but you're afraid that you're going to have to give up some of the flavors that you love, there's a vegan soul food version of everything. Um, so you don't have to, you don't have to be deprived. Um, but yeah, we have, I mean, there, as with, as with all aspects of, of life in this society in the U.S., African Americans experience the worst health outcomes, um, as we do in education and housing and politics, so many things. So this is no, this is no surprise to black folks. Um, and what I tell people is that, we have the power with our fork, with our plate, with our money to take back control over our food, and we don't have to experience these chronic diseases, which are primarily diet-related. So I like to focus on abundance and culture and history, and that's what we did with the guide. So I did not talk about health disparities, which is a real issue, an ongoing problem, but what I, my focus with the guide is to say that there are nearly one and a half million black folks who are vegan and vegetarian, which is 3% of the black population in the country. And there are another, uh, there's another 32% of uh, black folks who say that they, when they eat out, they occasionally, sometimes, or always order meatless meals when they eat out. And so my approach is to say, here we are, this is what we do, so here's how to join us, and here's why to join us. Um, and so I think because we take that perspective with the guide, it's very warm, it's very inviting, it seems very doable, um, and uh, people really respond well to that. And we talk about what to do at family reunions, what to say to your grandmom or your aunties and uncles who don't understand why this year you're not eating the dairy macaroni and cheese. Um, why aren't you eating the ham and the fried chicken and the turkey, um, the greens with the turkey in it? So we talk about that. We talk about socializing. We talk about eating out. We talk about how to raise children vegan. Um, and we have two pages of highlights of African-American vegan history as well. Fabulous. And do we get that from Farm Sanctuary? You, you can get that from AfricanAmericanVeganStarterGuide.com. Perfect. And we'll put that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Tracy Lynn McWhorter, By Any Greens Necessary, Ageless Vegan. Thank you so much for being part of our show today. Thanks for all you do. And I will be in the audience on October 4th cheering you as you get that Vegan Compassionate Living Award. Thank you, Everybody else, stay with us for a prayer for compassion. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Daily Word has developed beautiful card decks to support your spiritual journey. One deck is about healing, another is about finding peace in troubled times, and the family cards are two decks, one for parents and one that can be colored on for children, so families can talk about spiritual principles together. The card decks are available from Unity. Go to unity.org, then click on Shop or call 1-800-24-UNITY Monday through Friday. Recovery from addiction can be a lonely experience. Get help and support with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, Reverend Dan Beckett, and Spirit of Recovery every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Welcome to a place where spirituality and recovery meet. Each week, you'll hear stories and topics that are important to the recovery community. Tune in for some lively conversation and join in with your questions and comments. Nearly 21 million people struggle with addiction in America. Reach out and join us here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. We're so happy to have you with us today. If you're newly listening to the Main Street Vegan program, thank you. You can find out more about Main Street Vegan as a whole on our website, MainStreetVegan.net. And when you go there, you'll find all sorts of stuff, including our weekly blog, 
which posted yesterday, and this week's post is called Five Ways to Get Hooked on Plants by Julia Murray. Julia is a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy, the program that we run that trains and certifies vegan lifestyle coaches. She also is an Olympic skier. She was on the Olympic ski team back in 2010, and now she's out there in British Columbia um, with a cereal company and all sorts of interesting things going on. So do take a look at her very enticing five ways to get hooked on plants. And there's something on the site that says, want to be a Main Street vegan? So you can sign up for our list and be kind of in our inner circle. And as I've been announcing the past few weeks, we also have an inner inner circle. And that is the Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners group on Facebook where we can have interaction and you can act uh, interact with other people who listen to this podcast and radio show and just let me know what you want to hear and we'll just converse over there on Facebook. Be wonderful to get to know you better. And it is such a pleasure right now to be introducing someone who's been on the show once or twice before talking about this wonderful idea this wonderful possible project that maybe someday could happen. Well, guess what? It may be today <laughs> has happened. And that is the film A Prayer for Compassion, which will debut at the Vegan World 2026 conference in Tempe, Arizona in late October. A Prayer for Compassion is a film to introduce vegan living to people who identify as religious or spiritual. And with us today is the filmmaker, the brains, the creative force, <laughs> the camera holder behind A Prayer for Compassion, Thomas Wade Jackson. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Victoria. It's just an honor to speak to you. It's like you're so busy uh happy to be able to speak to you any way I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just do it this way and invite all of our friends to be part of it. So I was telling at the beginning, Thomas, how you called into this radio show back in, I think it was 2015, and, and you brought me on the project for which I am eternally grateful because this is a beautiful work. It's a beautiful piece of art, and it's a beautiful offering to the animals and the planet so just for those who haven't been following along, when did this idea break into your consciousness? Well, you know, I, I, it's hard to put exactly when. It was around four years ago. I mean, I think I connected with you right before I had the idea. I had been listening to your show because after my daughter was born, I didn't know any vegans, and I was like, I need to know vegans. So I was looking at any kind of vegan podcast and groups, and I saw your podcast. I didn't know Victoria. So I listened to your show, and you were offering that free subscription that I could be an actual American vegan for real. And so I uh, called in for that purpose. And also I was working on another film, and I told you about the other film, and you were like, we're working on this film that you had originally told me about. So we connected through Miss Liberty first. And after our connection, I started meditating, and I, I was just, I saw Cowspiracy, and it really touched me in a deep way, because I have a daughter, and I'm worried about the future of the planet, and so I, I just started meditating, and this idea came, and um, 
I was like, you got the wrong guy at first, you know, because I know what goes into a film. I'm a single dad. I have no money. Like, there's no way I can do this. But eventually it convinced me, and I said, okay, what's the first step? And it right away said, call Victoria. She knows all these people. Ask her to be a producer. And uh, and my thought was, I'm sure somebody's working on this already. She's going to think it's a stupid idea. Who is this, you know, and the way it, I mean, I want people to know this because all every step of the way, every insecurity I had that kept me down in the past and kept ideas down in the past, I've just came to and said, "Okay, I hear you, but this is important. Let's move on." And wow. so that's how it started. And and the yeah. finished project, oh my goodness, it's so so beautiful, and it it's online several places. If you're going to MainStreetVegan.net anyway, just click on a prayer for compassion. Uh, you can read some about the film and also see the trailer. And you'll see some people in there that you know. You'll see um, Bruce Friedrich from the Good Food Institute and Dr. Will Tuttle of the World Peace Diet. But, you know, since making that original trailer, Thomas, you have covered some territory. So tell us about some of the places you went to interview people for the film. Awesome. You know, I, I do want to preface all of this and what I was just saying, because I think this is a, my main message for vegans and activists. You know, I, I want religious people who are not vegan to be vegan, but I want the other people to take away no matter when you have a divine idea, meditate, ask what you can do. When you get the idea, even if you don't know how you're going to do it, just keep showing up because the way it worked was I may, I interviewed you when I was up there shooting footage for a different film and I came back and Will Tuttle was going to be in Florida. So I, you connected me to Will and I interviewed him. And from that, I put together a little trailer. And then, uh, in Arizona, Sharon from the illuminate festival saw it and wanted to, enter it right then. I said, I hadn't even made a film, but she connected us with Silish. And with his money, we went to LA to the animal rights conference. And I got to travel. I got, I met Maya, who's a veterinarian and she's in the film. And we reconnected in Florida and we got to go 13 or 14 States, um, and interview people here. And then Silish had contacted me and said, Hey, I can get your credentials to the UN conference on climate change. At that time, most of the money had gone to equipment and travel and all this. And I didn't know how I would do this. And I said, my heart says yes, but we'll figure it out <laughs> or whatever. You know, that was the first kind of the way I used to word it. Now I'm just like, okay, yeah, of course. Uh, and it worked out. Um, somebody found us who was in Hong Kong. He found us like we had $12 in the account. He called us up and he said, um, I just saw your trailer and two days before I saw it, I thought somebody should make this film. And then I saw it and read what you wrote. And it was exactly what I had written in my journal. And I want to be a producer. And he gave us some money for that. And then he wanted to join us in India. It was him and Sally said, come to India. So, you know, I, I never intended it to be this international project. I never had the scope. But I just kept saying yes. And the people and the things showed up because it was, I'm not working for me anymore. Like I'm not trying, you know what I mean? I'm really trying to make a better world. And I know that there's unseen forces because they've been there every step of the way. I doubted at first. Now I have very little doubt that something has guided me and makes all these synchronicities and has every, whoever's listening to this today, hearing this message because they need to go out and do what their heart's calling them to do. Cause we need you to do it now more than ever. Look around. You know yeah, absolutely. If it's, if it's, if it's and I know idea, that this particular you know? film is geared to people who identify as religious or spiritual, and it's a very open-minded film. You have people from, boy, not every religion that exists on the planet, but a 
huge overview. And then, of course, you know, we also want our, our humanist, atheist, agnostic friends to get this message, too. I know you're thinking maybe there'll be a film you'll make for them down the road. But this one, as, as you talk to people who do identify as religious, they're part of a believing body. What in general were they telling you? Were they telling you that these messages of compassion are already there in their teachings and just need to be expanded? Yes, everyone said they were already there. I think there are maybe three people in the film that were like, that I interviewed that at the time, I know uh, we weren't vegan. Well, they were maybe vegetarian, some weren't even that. Um, but what they all did, whether they were vegan or not, they, their religion built a case for it. So you don't even know. At one time, I thought I would show who's what. And I don't because it all is saying the same message. And I've heard that Jaya, like a Silas's friend, has gone vegan since the film, since we, I had that discussion with her, you know, about dairy. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Well, I know that, that part of what your uh, Hong Kong contributor was interested in in sending you to India was to talk with people there about dairy, because in India, people are very familiar with vegetarianism. There's a very large vegetarian population. But dairy is very much part of the Indian culture. What did you learn there? Yeah, I was actually kind of shocked when I, as I learned it. And I, I was very naive. You'll see in the film... I interviewed this long, young Jain lady at a Jain temple. It was like the second interview of the morning, um, but no one had discussed uh, what happens to cows in India. We had just discussed religion. And so it was my first interview with a non-vegan in India, and she's a Jain. And she t basically sat there and spelled out why she should be vegan, why they don't even eat root vegetables. And, you know, they wear masks. and they I mean, it's just an amazing culture who is already so... Uh, I mean, uh, not just the Jains, but I think Ahimsa uh, is like sewn into the DNA of everyone in India. It's just kind of a teaching that's part of all of the traditions in some way. And so, and I, and so when I interviewed her, I asked her about dairy, and she said she did do dairy. And I said, "What well, did you know that at least in the United States?" And I told her the thing that she was shocked, and she said, "I, I need to reconsider." Well, the next five interviews, I discovered that India is like the worst. <laughs> like, they're the number one producer of leather, they're the number one producer of beef, and they have no beef cows. It's all from the dairy industry, from baby boy cows, and none of the people know it. They, like she said, we have people that worship cows. I don't think we would do that. And I'm like, I didn't know at the time, so I couldn't say, well, yes, you do. But uh, I do now. It really shocked me. That's actually one of my favorite interviews that you do in the film, because this is a very small, well, a small staff project. I mean, we don't even have a staff. It's, you know, you and four, three, four uh, executive producers and people helping out. But basically, it's you. And so it's very interesting that you have to be good at cinematography. You have to be good at film editing. You have to be good at interviewing. And... It's very rare when you get all of that in a package, and I really believe that we have this in you, Thomas. I know that you are a Student Academy Award winner uh, for an earlier film when you were in film school, so you're very good at your craft. But in this particular interview, and in all of them, but it really shown here, you didn't say to her, well, don't you know what happens to cows and calves? You just said, oh, well, that's interesting. 
Well, at least the way it is in America is, and then you went on to tell her about the cows being artificially inseminated, separated from the babies, and that they have to have a baby every year to be commercially viable for milk. And so you could Mm -hmm. just see that she was really taking that in. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the film, because we're talking about compassion for everybody, including humans. And I know it's so easy sometimes to get angry at humans and say, you know, well, this is one species that doesn't deserve compassion. Yes, we do. We deserve a lot of it. And the more we show each other, the more it's going to spread out for the animals and, and the planet and everybody. So you also in India, speaking of Jains, had the very rare opportunity to interview sky-clad Jain monks, the highest saints in the Jain religion. What was that like? The sadhus. Um, that was really amazing. I mean, the way it was going to work, we were going to interview this 95-year-old uh, Jane Saint. And so the night before, I met him, and it, it was cool and cold in India. We went into this temple and went upstairs, and these guys don't sleep with any covers. They, don't, they lay on a mat. You know, they don't have any possessions. Um, so I met this guy briefly, but I guess because of his age, I didn't interview him, but the way it worked is um, when I first got there, they were feeding the monks because people, devotees from the town come and feed them. They don't even touch silverware. You know, it's um, it's like renouncing all worldly possessions. Um, so I got to shoot that, which was amazing. I, I was like, are you sure I can shoot this? They're like, yeah, shoot it, shoot it. So um, then I got a one-on-one interview with them, and I only did this one shot, and it was very, you know, tight. So you can't see that in the shot, the it's first it's just a younger monk I, and the old, just a younger monk, but the older monk's there laying down. He's, you can't see him, but the whole time I'm interviewing the younger monk, he's rubbing the younger, the older monk so that the other ones out there, they're all like so much a soothing love, and it was just this amazing experience. And it, the one that didn't speak English, it was a little complicated to the translator to get him to understand the thing about dairy. All those sadhus don't do dairy. They don't necessarily condemn it. Some of them don't at yet <laughs> because they say, well, we can use the dung and we can, for fuel or something, we can do whatever. So we had this wonderful debate, but it was through a translator, and uh, I couldn't include it because it would have been like half the film. But, but yeah, at the end, I get him to admit that, that this is, you know, this is a hint to a vegan is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. that's a beautiful part. Now, closer to home, one of the, I mean, I just loved all your interviews. And for people listening, I mean, Thomas has, has spoken with so many people of so many paths in, in the Christian world. He's, he's spoken with evangelical Christians and, and uh, conventional Protestants, Roman Catholics, uh, people in unity, uh, which this uh uh, radio show was broadcast on Unity Online Radio because it was founded by very vocal vegetarians back in the late 1800s. And there's a, a movement within Unity to get back to those uh, uh, vegan and vegetarian roots. Uh, and also wonderful interviews uh, with uh, Jeffrey Cohan from Jewish Vegetarians. Also the incredible uh, rabbi, Dr. Shmuley Yanklowitz. Mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, Buddhists and, and Hindus and just all kinds of people. But I want to ask you in particular about Linda G. Fisher, who's a Native American. Mm-hmm. And that certainly is a tradition where a lot of people will say, well, I eat meat, but I do it like the Native Americans. Well, <laughs> she would argue with that. Yes, for sure. I mean, she explained, you know, that in areas where there was no need to hunt, where they could grow food or they could uh, harvest food, they didn't kill for meat. It was only in the months they couldn't kill or places that they couldn't do it. And she she believes in her heart. I mean, because they really respect the animal, too. They never just went out and put them in cages and just killed them for no reason. They really mourned. They thought they were equal to them, and they could eat them. Like, they were on the same footing. And any time they killed them, it was like killing a brother. And it really broke their heart but she said that's why she believes that the chiefs were like if they could live without having to kill something they would respect all of life because that they had they did respect all of life it was a sorrow for them to have to do that yeah yeah yeah, she, she's a beautiful, but, but wonderful interview that. that, you know, and, and somebody that we don't often hear from. Now, I know you have uh, a couple of um, Muslim imams in the film. One is uh, Soheb Sultan from um, Princeton University, who's appeared on the program. You also have a Zoroastrian, the Persian religion. Tell us a little bit about her. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because when I lived in New York, I worked for a man from India, so I'd never been to India. I'd always wanted to go. This is like, you know, 10 years later, I actually went. But he was a Zoroastrian, and he had me make a little video about him. So I learned about him. I learned they were about good thoughts, good work, deeds. They were the first monotheistic religion. And, you know, there was a lot of things that resonated with me. And so... um, I was looking for Zoroastrian, and luckily at the Amer- at the Animal Rights Conference, Almadi May, who was a veterinarian, was there, and she was amazing, and did a, we had a great interview. And but um, yeah. Well, to me, you know, every time I watch the film, and obviously, you know, working with you on some of the little tweaks <laughs> and the edits here at these final stages, you know, I've seen it quite a few times, but it's always inspiring. And it it just makes me feel that the outreach to people of faith is going to be easier than it has been. I think sometimes in the past, people are like, nope, you know, I already, I've got that part of life worked out and I don't need to be doing any vegetarian, vegan stuff. You know, I'm all fine. But I just think the way that some of the people that you interview speak directly to people of their faith. Um, I'd like to learn a little bit, Thomas, about the woman who has the farm sanctuary in Florida. She's an evangelical Christian. And I recall Mm -hmm. that in the film she said that these um, factory farm systems are so horrible that it's almost as if they were designed by Satan himself. Who's who's this woman that you spoke with? That's Elaine from uh, Ruderville. Elaine is an amazing lady. She is just an inspiration. And you know, my my I'm from the Christian background. My parents were Baptist. I grew up Baptist, so. I really like when she, I, I could only include so much, and she had such a, a health story that was so amazing. I felt I needed to include that and a little bit of the religious, but I hope to use some of the other footage in another piece because there's one moment where she's reading the passage in Isaiah about, you know, the wolf will 
will lie with the lamb, or I forget exactly how it goes right now, although it's on my wall. Um, she was in tears. She was. She said, we messed it up. Like, she couldn't get through it. She was breaking up when how beautiful the description was. And she said, and we messed it up. You know, and, and my heart, I was crying. Every time I watched that, I cried, and I said, I wish I could include that, but it was so deep. It would have slowed the flow down, but it would. It showed me at the depth of her love for her her religion and also for all of creation. And, and where is Ruderville Sanctuary? Where in Florida? It's in Melrose. It's right um, near Gainesville, and okay. they have over three hundred animals there. They have a lot of pigs. And one of the things that makes it one of the my favorite sanctuaries is everybody's open to play. Everybody uh-huh. is open to uh, explore, and um, so you you will see a pig, a chicken, a turkey, or whatever come by you. And if they you know are interested in you, you can pet them or whatever. If not, they do their own thing. Oh so, wow, uh, that's so great! It, and they so, always have great from events. what so you learned, and I know you've made this beautiful film that's what 110 minutes, a standard feature film film. But you also have hundreds of hours of footage that you're going to do other things with. With all of this experience that you've had now in the past few years, how would you say to vegans listening to this program, how can they communicate this message to the people in their church, their synagogue, their yoga center, whatever applies? Yeah, you know... um... That's something I'm be exploring in the next film. Uh, we'll actually do that. We'll take everything we learned and, and put it into practice. Go challenge some of the non-vegan leaders to take the challenge. You know, now that we've learned how to do it in a loving, non-judgmental way, and you know, uh, we're going to do that. But I would say the vegan interfa- or the Interfaith Vegan Coalition, on their website is through IDA. Uh, it's on Facebook, and they have resources for each religion that has talking points for each religion that you can look at. And we're trying to find ways that we can go into churches and just say, hey, how about in the, your, the products you buy? Can you make them cruelty-free? You know, how about having a uh, meatless Monday? Or, you know, just bringing your way into the conversation in some way. I don't know how easy it's going to be because food is such a, a tight thing, but I think the number one thing, we can't judge. We have to remember we've all been there. We have to get them with emotion. You can't, you know, I mean, you can't, talking points doesn't work. All the research I've done has really convinced me you can't judge people because they shut down. you got to hit them in their heart. you got to see where they're at. Is it about their health? Is it about the planet because they have children? Or is it about, uh, you know, the environment? I mean, about the uh, people who are hungry or or any of the many reasons. The cruelty of animals, you know, like they love animals and they realize that they suddenly there's this dissidence between the animals they love eat and the animals they pet, you know, and they wake up a little bit. That's what the sanctuaries yeah. are wonderful for. Take your non-vegan friends to the sanctuaries. Uh-huh. Let them eat the animals. So, Thomas, <clears throat> what can people do to help a prayer for compassion have the most impact that it can? We just finished uh, a Main Street Vegan Academy class here and sent 18 bright, fresh, new vegan lifestyle coaches and educators out into the world. And today on the last day, I did show the trailer for the film. And people are on fire with this. They want to show it in, in the theater, indie theaters in their area, in their churches, synagogues, and so forth. What can people do and how can they contact us? 
Well, I'm amazed at that the response we've got from the people who've seen it. I mean, I you know I'm so distanced from I've watched it so many times, but people are loving it and they're wanting to see it. And you can go to a prayer for. Well, our website is being revamped. It's still the old website, but soon we'll have a new one up there. But you can still join our mailing list on the website at a prayerforcompassion.com, and uh, from there you'll get some updates. You can go to our Facebook and sign up that way. And also, we hope to have one more fundraiser because. We've got all these fees for the music rights and things that I would have no idea about. <laughs> like, the next film, I'll be so wise. But right now, I've made <laughs> a lot of errors because I was not knowing. So I'm, like, really working day and night to get this thing legal. So anything you can do, and if we get the fundraiser, to spread the word. Spread the word anyway. Let people know it's coming, man. We're ready for religious people to look at what they're doing and match their actions with their thoughts and their beliefs. You know, Absolutely. And, and listeners, so you can just reach you know? straight out to me if you want to. You can go on that uh, Facebook listeners group or just email me, Victoria, at MainStreetVegan.net if you would like to do a screening of a prayer for compassion in your city, your town, really wherever you are. We want to be there. So, Thomas, I just cannot tell you what an honor it has been and continues to be to work with you because you are a committed vegan and you're a committed spiritual person. So you're not looking at this whole spiritual thing saying, well, I'm this outside filmmaker and I'm going to go make a film for those people. You are one of those people and you really, you bring so much depth, so much compassion and so much purity to this process along with all of your experience and skills. It has been and continues to be a pleasure. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting this program. Thanks to Jeff, our engineer, and to you, our listeners. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.